This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. Um, I just want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for showing up this semester, not just here, but showing up for your friends, um, being present in each other's lives as much as you've been able to do. Um, thank you for doing that. And um, as you know, or as you, as you might know, this semester we've been reading the Sermon on the Mount together, and that's what Avery just read to us, the end of that. And um, this is the greatest sermon ever preached. This is a, a sermon that Jesus preached, and it's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel and chapters 5 through 7. And this sermon has turned whole societies upside down. People have given their entire lives over to following this teaching and its teacher. And tonight, we arrive at this sermon's conclusion. And and Jesus closes with this big, powerful illustration, and it's startling. It's startling. The final words of the sermon, he says, And great was its fall. And then he's silent. And this final illustration, the final picture that Jesus gives us, he gives us this picture to help us to make sense of everything that he's taught and what he wants us to do with it, how it is that he wants us to respond to what it is that he said. And what Jesus is doing by giving us a picture, by giving us this picture, he's driving deep into our minds and our imaginations what it is that he wants us to do. So he gives us this picture with two houses, one that's built on sandy soil and one that's built on the rock. And what he's doing is he's giving us this picture so that we can question our foundations. And I want to walk through this with you and think through what the implications are of this for us. And so as we look at this this illustration that Jesus gives, we're going to see three things. He draws our attention to the houses that you will build, the storms that you will face, and the foundation that you require. So first, the houses that you will build. And a house is a metaphor. Um, A house or a home is a metaphor for your entire life. Now, back then in the first century, the home was a multi-generational thing, something that was passed down from generation to generation, and multiple generations would live in the house together. And it was not just for sleeping or relaxing, but it was for work. It was an agrarian society, so work began in the home. Um, Work was part of the home life, and it was for formation. It was in the home around that table that your family would tell stories to you of who you were and where you were from and what your life was for. It was for feasting. It was where you would gather together to celebrate the goodness that you received together as a family. Um, it's the place that you were born. It's the place that you died. All of life happened in the home. So it's a symbol for life. The house, the home is a symbol for all of life. And Jesus is asking in this parable, what kind of home, what kind of life are you building? And he gives us two builders in this illustration. We're given the wise builder and the foolish builder. And he invites us to consider this question. Are we wise or are we foolish? Now, wise here is this Greek word phronimos, which means thoughtful or to live an examined life. Socrates wrote, the unexamined life is not worth living. This is the idea here, to live the examined life. And if you're not wise or you, you don't live the examined life, then you're a fool. And the word here is moros, where we get the word moron. So wise and foolish, the words that Jesus is using are actually buzzwords in his day. Wisdom and how it was gained was a live question, both in the Jew- Jewish world and in the Greek world in the first century. 
In the Jewish world, the wisdom literature, there's, there's entire books of the Bible written about wisdom, and particularly the first eight chapters of the book of Proverbs are, are asking and wrestling with this question is, what is wisdom and how do I get it? And in the Greek world, wisdom and how to, how to get it was also a chief concern. It was something of great interest to the philosophers as they were asking this question about what is the good life and how do I live it? So Jesus, with this question, he's tapping into the main currents of his day. What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to live the good life, to live the dream? Am I living life? Am I aimed in the right direction? So he gives us this parable of building a home, inviting us to consider, to do some self-introspection, to ask, am I wise or am I foolish? What kind of home, what kind of life am I building? And Jesus doesn't say anything about the house here, just the builder. And looking at what we've read this semester in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say that the house worth building, the life worth living, isn't necessarily a life of wealth or success, but a house framed out with the principles that God has given us. The good life is a life of apprenticeship to Jesus, of obedience to the Ten Commandments, a life of self-sacrificial love for our neighbors. Stuff that what um, columnist and, and thinker David Brooks calls eulogy virtues. He says eulogy virtues are the things that when you die, when people show up at your funeral, when they give a eulogy at your funeral, these are the things that people are going to talk about. How they will eulogize you, your character, your love, your wisdom, the beauty of the life that you've built. These are eulogy virtues. Here's the thing, though. You live in a culture, we live in a culture that does not celebrate, does not reward eulogy virtues. Instead, it rewards and celebrates resume virtues. These are the things that help you get a good job, the things that boost your resume. Now, as you begin to consider your life, to examine your life, the question to consider is, are you building a house on resume virtues or eulogy virtues? Is it about your success and your achievement, or is it about growing in wisdom and your love of others? Is it about your apprenticeship to the market and to the meritocracy, or is it about your apprenticeship to Jesus? Eulogy virtues, that's the life of being salt and light, a life of loving your neighbors, a life of obedience and generosity, of care for the poor and concern for justice, a life of loving mercy and doing justice and walking humbly with God. Tim Keller says that the life that Christians are called to is not one that neatly fits into the categories given to us by political parties. And if you're not a Christian, you're here with us tonight. First off, we're so glad that you're here. And second, I, I want you to hear this, that the categories of, of right living that's given to us by our political parties, whether the right or the left, um, only holds on to half of what it is that Scripture calls us to. See, the good life, Tim Keller says, is the one that is radically pro-life and sexually chaste and also committed to the poor and marginalized and devoted to racial and ethnic justice and reconciliation. This is what a life of wisdom looks like. So what kind of builder are you? Are you wise or are you foolish? Because we all build houses and we all face storms. So Jesus is saying here that we all will face storms. And I, I find this comforting that Jesus brings this up in this story, that he's honest about life. In some ways, life can be compared to a storm. We're all going to face storms, storms of sin and storms of suffering. And storms disorient us. They remind us that we're not in control, that control is an illusion. A few weeks ago when Hurricane Zeta came through, we lost power for four days. And in that, we were reminded deeply as a family that we are not in control. And 
The global pandemic is a storm, a global storm. We are all of us together experiencing our vulnerability globally together, regardless of your wealth or your status. No one is immune to this. No one is immune to being aware of their own vulnerability. And so here Jesus is underscoring that storms are inevitable, not if, but when the storm comes. And we need to hear this because we can move through the Christian life in such a way that when we encounter storms, we immediately think that something's wrong. And Jesus is saying, no, the storms are coming. They're inevitable in a broken and breaking world. And this pushes on the ways that we imagine our lives and how they're supposed to be. There's a professor at Duke University named Kate Bowler, and she recently wrote a book on the history of the prosperity gospel. She's in her early 40s, and when she was 35, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she also had a newborn child. And this upended her life. While studying the prosperity gospel, which teaches that if you believe the right thing, then your life will go right and be easy. She realized that this mindset had crept into her own spirit. And she writes about how it's easy to see Jesus as the key that unlocks the door to the easy life that we all want. How easy it is to treat Jesus as like add-on trip insurance to my plans. Just add him on as long as he doesn't interfere with my plans for my life. She did an interview with the New York Times this spring, and I want to read to you what she said in that, or part of what she said. The idea that we're all supposed to be positive all the time has become an American obsession. It gives us momentum and purpose to feel like the best is yet to come. But the problem is when it becomes a kind of poison in which it expects that people who are suffering, which is pretty much everyone right now, are somehow always supposed to find the silver lining or not speak realistically about their circumstances. The main problem is that this adds shame to suffering by just requiring everyone to be prescriptively joyful. If I see one more millionaire on Instagram yell that she is choosing joy while selling journals in which stay-at-home moms are supposed to write their joy mantras, I'm going to lose my mind. Here's what she's saying. It's hot take from Kate Baller. Here's what she's saying. She's saying that the storms are going to hit your house. No matter where you built your house, the storms are coming. Death, cancer, suffering, job loss, death of somebody you love, moral failure, bankruptcy. Jesus does not promise to protect us from the storm, but to protect us in the storm. The Christian life is not a promise of life with no trouble at all, but the promise of his presence in all of your trouble. Jesus said it himself. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So when the storms come, it's not a sign that Jesus has abandoned you. Rather, it's a reminder that he's with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he holds you with such a grip that no storm can snatch you from his hand. The storm does not mean that God is not with you. So question for you, how can I endure the storm knowing that Jesus is with me? Are you equipped when all is stripped away to be like Job and to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you have a foundation like this to weather the storms? The thing that Jesus is ultimately concerned with for you is this question. What is your house built on? Where are you building your house? 
Do you have the foundation that can weather the storms? So our kids, which I think they're still here somewhere, they're rolling around on the hill. Um, my kids love to build with Legos. Leo is nine, Mary Landon six, and George is two. And Leo and Mary Landon love building with Legos and um, building houses, and George loves to tear them down. Now they're yelling on the hill. All right, keep it down, guys. <laughs> um, so they love building Legos. George loves knocking them down. So George is the storm to Leo and Mary Landon's Lego houses, and he's very good at testing and revealing the strength of their foundations. Jesus is saying, if you want to know, if you want to know your foundation, the storms are always going to reveal it. When what you are building your life on, what you're building your life on is going to come to light in the midst of storms. The wisdom or the folly of your life will be revealed in your foundation. Look at how Jesus speaks of each. The wise, he says, builds their life on the foundation of the rock, on the life and teaching of Jesus. And the foolish, they hear, they listen, but they don't do anything with it. Now, Jesus doesn't say why they don't do anything. You know, maybe they're busy. Maybe they've got lots of schoolwork going on, busy applying to jobs. Maybe they're just tired. Maybe they just don't want to deal with that right now. I'll get to it later, some other time. This is open-ended, but it leads us to ask, who am I becoming? Who am I in the story? Am I the, am I the wise builder or am I the fool? Now, in the short run, you can't tell the difference. On the surface, both houses look the same. Building your life on Jesus's life and teaching from a distance, it can look the same as someone who doesn't. You have know, the same major, you go take the same jobs, you be, you're part of the same organizations. But in the moment of truth, the storms reveal what your life is built on. What is it built on? Is it built on greed or materialism or wealth? Is it built on beauty or sex or relationships? Your youth, your fitness, your popularity? Is it built on pleasure or success or achievement or personal freedom? Or is it built on the foundation of Jesus? His life, his death, his resurrection, his teachings. The storm reveals your foundation. Are you building your life on the foundation of your own performance, on your own achievement, or your own record, or are you building your life on the record of Jesus, on his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, his teachings? Because the gospel doesn't say, I obey, therefore God accepts me. The gospel says, God accepts, accepts me through the perfect record of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I obey. The true foundation is Jesus. And that's the foundation that's rock solid. Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And if you look back through the Sermon on the Mount, everything that Jesus asks us to do, he has done for us. Every moral category that has slayed us as we've read it together, he has fulfilled it for us. And Jesus is saying that the way to have a house that will stand the test of time, the way to have the house that will weather the storms of life, that will not collapse, the ultimate foundation is built on the record of Jesus's life and not your own. And then you can trust fall into him. You can wisely build your house on that foundation. Build your house on that foundation that will stand the test of time. You'll be a home that exists for the glory of God and for your neighbor. This is an intense teaching from Jesus. It's both a warning and it's a welcome. It's an indictment and an invitation. This is a gracious, loving invitation from Jesus to consider what are you standing on? What are you building your life on? I want to take just a few moments to apply this to us. 
think it's fascinating that Jesus ends this sermon with a series of warnings. And he leaves us startled in asking these questions of what it means for us. So I want to apply this to us and say, um, lean into the storms. Lean into the storms. For they are a challenge and a comfort. Storms challenge us. They show us where we're building that won't last. What foundations we're building on that won't last. And they comfort us. Because they remind us that where our foundation is Jesus, that he's right where we need to be. There is no safer or more secure place in the world than knowing, than having everything staked on Jesus. Knowing this is what gave Corey Ten Boom the ability to hide Jews in her home during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. Remembering the words of her sister Betsy, who said, there, is no, there are no ifs in God's world and no places that are safer than others. The center of his will is the only safety. Knowing this is what led Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century British preacher, to say, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Knowing this is what, let my, what led Meister Eckhart to write, God spares us from nothing, but sustains us in everything. And when we understand this, it gets us to a place of ultimate security and freedom. Even if your life plans disintegrate into sand, if your job evaporates, if you don't get into that major, if your romantic relationship falls apart, you still have the one necessary thing, the treasure that can't be taken from you, the foundation that cannot be shaken, Christ, who is your life. Lean into the storms because of the fullness of the foundation. I want to read to you the question, first question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. If you've never heard of that, don't worry about it. It's an old German question and answer to help us make sense of what it is that God has done for us. And this is what it says. What is your only comfort in life and death? This is the answer. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid fully for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is the fullness of your foundation. And at the end of his sermon, we're told that the crowds were amazed by Jesus's authority. Back then, authority was all about your sources. It's the same way today, you know, when you're writing a paper, your paper's filled with footnotes. And you do this to legitimize, legitimate what you're saying, making your professor think that you're not crazy because you made a point and you gave the right footnote. Rabbis were the same way. But with Jesus, the footnotes disappear because he is the source. The ultimate authority, the word himself, not just a vehicle for truth. He is the truth. He is the gate. He is the way, the foundation on which our lives are to be built. And no other rabbi would ever talk like this because he is God in flesh. He is wisdom itself. To become the wise builder is to become like Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is an invitation for you to apprentice your life to Jesus to become like him by the Holy Spirit. So, what are you building your life on? 
Friends, Christ is your life. He is the shepherd and overseer of your soul. He is the light that shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He is the living water that slakes your thirst and the bread from heaven that satisfies you fully. He is the word made flesh. He is the promised child of Abraham, the great prophet greater than Moses and the great King David's greater son. He is the way and the truth and the life. Christ is your life. He is everything. He is the solid rock and all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Sermon on the Mount and we thank you um, for this, this picture that you give us. And Lord, thank you for these friends and this time that we have here together tonight. And Lord, help you. I pray that you would help us. Would you help us? Um, help us to ask this question to make sense of our foundation. Help us to see you as good and the good life that we long for to be found in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.